welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. I'd like you to stand up with me as we read the word of the Lord and give the Lord some honor that he is due. Continue to give the Lord some honor that he is due. And we'll just read the first two verses and then I'm going to pray. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Father, I thank you for our continued time here this morning. May you continue to speak. May you continue to move. God, I ask right now that you fill me with your thoughts, with your words, that you put your desires in my heart so that when I communicate, I am communicating as your voice. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that there is no distractions, no hindrances, that ears are open in the name of Jesus, that eyes are open and hearts are open to receive your word this morning. May we leave this place transformed and changed more into your image. In Jesus' name, we all said amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay, grab a chair, sit down with me, and let's jump in here. Romans chapter 5. I love baby dedications. I love, I love babies. I love little toddlers. I love watching Obi over here. Did you see Obi over here during worship, just bouncing back and forth on this? I don't know what he's doing. What do, what do toddlers do anyways? You're, you're a year and a half, you're two years old. You do weird stuff, but it's amazing to watch. He just loves, just loves worshiping God. Oh, it's so fun. Romans chapter 5, all right, let's go. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, what do you got to do? What's it there for? So he's referring, now remember, when the Bible was written, it wasn't broken down like this for us. It wasn't, there wasn't nice little verse number one, two, three, four, subtitles and headings that wasn't in there when they wrote them. Paul wasn't sitting down when he wrote this letter and dictating it. He wasn't saying to the guy that was writing it, now this is verse four and this is verse five and I want you to call this paragraph this thought. That's not what he did. He just wrote it out. And so therefore starts off verse one and it's referring to verse 25 where he says he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God and at the end of chapter 4 Paul just smoothly out of nowhere begins to drop in Jesus to these Jews that he's writing to and so then in verse 5 it says therefore since we've been made right in God's sight by faith We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. The first thing you need to see here is that you are made right in God's sight by faith. It's not because of works. It's not because of anything that you can do or have done or ever will do. You're made right, which means in right standing with God, because of faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says, you have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, because of your faith, I love this part right here. Christ has brought us into this place 
of undeserved privilege, the New King James says, of grace, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I want to talk for just a minute about this phrase right here, Christ has brought us. Because of your faith, because of your faith in Jesus, because of what you can't see with your natural eyes, but you choose to believe and trust in with your heart, because of that faith, Christ has brought you into this place of undeserved privilege or grace. Now, this phrase, Christ has brought us, in the Greek is this word, prosogoge. Mm-hmm. Prosogoge. Say it with me. Prosogoge. Prosogoge. Again with the Italian. Every time I try to say a Greek word, it goes to Italian. It's too much Mario in my life. And it means this. To bring near meaning access or approach. The term was commonly used for the audience or right of approach granted to someone by high officials and monarchs. So the picture here is this. The picture is Christ has brought you. Christ has given you access. Christ has, in a sense, opened the door and ushered you into the presence of God because of your faith in Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. Through the work that Jesus did on the cross where he went and laid his life down and paid the price that you could never pay, made you righteous with the Lord because you trusted in him. When he did that, and because of your faith of trusting in the Lord, it's like you were given an access card and you can now walk up and Jesus opens the door into the presence of God where you can freely walk into this place of undeserved privilege or grace, the Bible says. How great is that? You don't seem very excited about that. I love the picture of Jesus in the sense, Jeff, can you just go stand back at that door back there? Let's just do an object lesson. Just go back to that door. Let's pretend right now that Jeff is Jesus. And on the other side of that door is the presence of the Lord. And through the work that Jesus did on the cross, and because of your faith in him, when you come to Jesus through faith, the door is now open. Can you open it up? Look at that. The door is open, and it's now like Jesus is saying, come on in. Come into the presence of the king. Come into the presence of the Lord. You don't deserve this. You haven't earned this. You haven't done anything to make yourself worthy in the natural of being here, but I've paid the price for you, and now I'm opening a door that you could never open yourself, and I'm inviting you in to his presence. So come in here with me. Let's come in and sit down at the feet of our king. Let's come and spend time in his presence and hear what he has to say to you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Look at Jeff. He's standing there with the door propped open, waiting for us to walk through, saying, come on in. And that's what Jesus is doing for you. And that's what the word here that Paul is using when he says, thank you, Jeff, you can go sit down. (laughs) When it says, Christ has brought us into, and I love the phrasing, brought us into. It's like he takes you by the hand and brings you along with him. Christ has 
brought us into this place. That word also has a second meaning. In, in, in later Greek, it also means this. It's also the word that is used for where a ship comes in, a safe haven, port, or harbor, a port offering safety from the storms. So when it says that Christ has brought us into this, Christ has brought us into this safe harbor of grace in the Lord. Safe harbor where you can go away from the storms of life, away from the trials, away from the tribulations, away from those things that are beating at you over and over and over again. Christ has ushered you into this safe haven. Come on. How great is that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. So let's keep going. Let's find something that you can get really excited about. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Sharing God's glory. Sharing God's glory. Sharing God's glory. When he opened that door for you, you get to walk in there and you get to share in God's glory. You get to partake in that glory. That is part of your inheritance as a believer. As a child of God, you get to share in God's glory. (laughs) Okay, we're going to keep going. I'm going to find something that you are really excited about this morning. Verse 3. Verse 3. Everybody say verse 3. We can rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Like, that make you a little bit happy? You get a little excited about that? Hang on a second. Let's go back to the word rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Let's rejoice for a minute. Who can rejoice in the Lord? And again, I said rejoice. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done in my life. God, I thank you. I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory. You can't rejoice in the Lord? What? You know what? Let's take a praise break. Why don't you stand up with me? And for the next 20 seconds, let's begin to rejoice in the Lord. God, I worship you. I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in my life. God, I thank you that you're working when I can't see it. I rejoice in you. You are my strength. You are my strong tower. You are my shelter. You are my refuge. You are my rock. You are my hope. And I put all my trust in you. Come on now. We can rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, well, 5.16, and 18. Always be joyful. Always. Never stop praying. You know, in any relationship, let's just pause for a second. There's two words that you're uh, never supposed to say in any relationship. And that is the word always and the word never. You, can, you, you shouldn't say, you never do this, or you always do this, because it's an absolute word, and it's just not true. I can't say about Jen, you never do this, you never do this, or you always do this, because it's not really true, is it? But I love about how when you come to the Word of God, when it comes to the Word of God, there are absolutes in there. Always be joyful. All the time. Always. In every circumstance. And then he says, Never stop praying. 
When's the last time you never stopped praying? That's a weird sentence, isn't it? Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Let's go look in the book of James for just a minute. We're talking about here, it says, we can rejoice. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way. This is so contrary to how we think, isn't it? We feel like when troubles come our way, finally we have an ex- a reason to sit down and pout. Finally I can sit down and whine and nobody can sit, tell me to stop whining. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, what kind of trouble? That's unfair, isn't it? That's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. But what part of life is fair? It says, when troubles of any kind come your way, sit down and cry and have a hissy fit and pout until somebody comes along and fixes it for you. Because you're so weak, you can't do anything about it yourself. Thus says James, the brother of Jesus. No, he says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Who's got troubles in here? Oh, man. I need to hang out with you folks more because half of you don't have any kind of trouble. I need to get around you and find out what's going on in your life because you don't got problems. But the rest of us that have problems in our life, guess what? It's a chance for you to count it joy. And just like Paul said to the the Thessalonians, you can rejoice in every circumstance and never stop praying. It's kind of like the praying helps you keep your joy in the Lord. Just a side thought. You can think about that for free on your own. That's not what we're preaching about today. But if you're losing your joy in the Lord, maybe you need to go spend some time praying in the Lord and see what happens inside of you. Maybe your praying and spending time in the presence of the Lord will cause things inside of you to be stirred up and cause that joy that you seem to have lost and can't find anywhere else to be stirred back up inside of you, causing you to have joy. And as you continue to pray, your joy begins restored. And as you continue to pray more, your joy begins to restore more. And as you continue to pray more, guess what happens? Thank you, Pastor Adrian. Ha, ha, ha. So he says in verse 3, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Listen, this word problems and trials is the Greek word flipsis. Flipsis. We got it there, don't we, Jaden? And it means this, to pressure, to pressure. It's crushing, it's pressing, it's compressing and squeezing. So he says, you can rejoice when there's things in your life that are causing you pressure. There's things in your life that are crushing you. There's things that are pressing on you, that are pressing in you, that are pressing around you. There's things that are compressing, squashing you down. And there's things that are squeezing you. Guess what? When those things happen, you can still rejoice, he says. For we know that it helps Helps us develop endurance. Now I love this word endurance. Hang on with me. Let's show them what this word endurance. Endurance is the Greek word hupomone. 
I'm not going to use my Italian accent. Don't worry. Hupomone. And it refers to that quality of character which does not allow to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. Let's think about this for a second. It's the quality of character that will not succumb under pressure, that will not sit down and quit. In fact, the reference, I found a reference to this kind of, of character, this kind of endurance, and it talked about when Beethoven was told that he was going deaf. Do you guys know Beethoven? And they said to Beethoven, they said, you're going deaf. And they said, what are you going to do about it? Because he was a musician. Do we have any musicians here? And, and going deaf as a musician would be what? Terrible. Because you sort of need to hear what you're doing. And so as Beethoven was going deaf, as I said, you're going to lose your hearing. Beethoven says, I'm going to grab life. This is his quote. I'm going to grab life by the throat. And we find out that after Beethoven was nearly completely deaf, he wrote some of his greatest symphonies. This is the same kind of endurance that the Greek word is talking about here. The kind of endurance that doesn't sit down and quit, that doesn't say, this is too hard, I can't keep going, I can't keep doing this anymore, I'm just tired, I'm wore out, I'm weak, I'm, I'm just, I, I've, I have all these feelings, I don't know what to do with, so I'm going to sit down, we're, we're going to call it a day, and, and we'll pick up somewhere down the road. No, he says, he says, when things in life begin to put pressure on you, when they begin to press up on you, when they begin to squeeze you, when you're feeling that pressure, that pressure, just like a hump, a hunk of coal that is turned into a diamond, that pressure creates endurance inside of you. And the kind of endurance that is created is not the kind of endurance that is barely moving along and slowly crawling across a hot, hot desert. That kind of endurance is the kind of endurance that says, I'm going to keep going no matter what. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what the circumstances say. I'm going to grab life by the throat and keep going. There's another quote that talks about this kind of endurance, and it says this. A man came up to another man and said, Life is sure, the, the, the sorrows of life sure color life, don't they? The sorrows that you experience, they sure paint your life in a certain way, don't they? And the man replied, and he said, Yes, they do, and I'm going to be the one that chooses what color that is. See, life comes and life brings things at you, but you don't have to lay down and lay under it. Here he's talking about the kind of endurance that chooses to keep going no matter what happens. When life is pushing on you, he says you can rejoice in it because in that time, endurance is created inside of you that enables you to continue on, that enables you to move beyond the circumstances, beyond your flesh, beyond the hurt, beyond the pain. They say at, um, when Beethoven, when at the end of losing his hearing, he, was, he loved music so much that he heard the music so much in his heart that he would lay on the, he would lay on the floor with the piano, with his ear to the piano, and he would pound the keys as hard as he can to that last moment where he couldn't hear anymore. And as Pastor Jake is preaching, I'm thinking about Jesus being on the cross for the joy that was set before him. 
And when the trials of life come, when the floods have come, when COVID has come, when these things from the enemy try to just distract and destroy and bring death, are we laying on the floor with our Bibles? Are we just like, we got to get closer. I've got to get closer. I've got to get closer to Jesus because church, God is raising up a church, an anointed church, not just a church that will just, like Beethoven, laying with his ear to the piano, pounding the keys. Are we desperate? I don't want to get all serious here, but are we desperate? Because that kind of desperation brings the endurance that we are going to need. Roots deep in the ground. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their gods. Parents, parents, bring your children to church. Grandparents, bring your family to church. Families, come to church. Whatever we do, let's get planted and go deeper and deeper so that we can run this race, not with sadness, but with gladness for the joy that was set before us, Jesus Christ, like that old song, I shall not be moved, just like the tree that's planted by the water. Church, we're not going to be moved. Amen. So we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. Now this word is the Greek word dokomai. And it's a test or experience, a proof or trial. And the example they use is metal passed through fire that emerges free from impurities and stronger because everything is emptied out of it. He goes on and says, character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And see, what I love about this verse is through this verse, Paul is speaking and he's revealing the process that we go through to have our endurance and our strength and our salvation fortified. But so many people and so many Christians try to bypass this process. They want to get out of the pain. They don't want to deal with the trials. They don't want to deal with the crushing and the pressing and the squeezing. They want to find ways to get out of it. But here you see, Paul says, as you go through these things, Jesus himself, didn't he, said that in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trials, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So you need to know that part of your life here, part of your time here, part of your process as a human being to grow in your character as a believer, to grow in your strength is to walk through that process. Don't try and sidestep it. Don't find a shortcut because if you find a shortcut and you don't go through the things that cause you to have your foundation laid stronger in Christ. Are you picking up what I'm saying? If you don't go through that process, you're going to get to the end. And when I talked about a metal being forged in the fire, you won't be that metal because you didn't go through the process. And when the temptations come and the trials come, you'll fall apart because you weren't forged in the fire. Don't shortcut the process of what the Lord wants to do in your life. Walk through it. I said walk through it. Everybody's like, oh man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Jen just said, you won't be burned, you'll be refined. Refiner's fire. 
You want to come preach this? <laughs> Next week. <laughs> There's pain in the process. But it's the, process, it's the process that produces a hope that endures. Walk through the process. Allow the Lord to work in you. Allow the Lord to work through you. Allow him to form himself in you what he desires to work. Allow those circumstances to do the sanding, to do the shaving off of the things that shouldn't be there. As the Lord works through you, you will come through on the other side stronger. Rejoice even in the process is what Paul says. Rejoice. Count it all joy. Never stop praying. And in fact, this is the same thing. If you look at all of James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 that we just read, this echoes, James echoes exactly what Paul is saying here. You got to walk through it. You got to walk through the process. This hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope will not lead to disappointment. The hope that you have that is formed in the process of pain. The hope that you have that is founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ, your faith in him. That hope as you walk through life will not lead to disappointment. And somebody here, I don't know who you are, you need to hear that this morning. That the hope that you have in Jesus will not lead you to disappointment. Other things will lead to disappointment. Other things will hurt you. Other paths will take you on different ways and where you shouldn't end up being at. But I want to tell you this morning that your hope in Jesus will not lead to disappointment. It will never disappoint you. Let's keep going. Got a few minutes left here. Are you with me still? When we're utterly hopeless, when we were utterly hopeless, Christ came at just the right time And he died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person. I lost my place. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Paul brings out a really interesting thought in these three verses. Christ came when you were utterly hopeless at just the right time. I love that phrase, at just the right time. At just the right time. Whose timetable do you live on? Do you live on his timetable or do you want him to live on your timetable? Paul says here, at just the right time, Jesus showed up. God is working in your life, and he's working at just the right time. You may think that it's too long. You might think that he showed up at the wrong time, at the wrong place, in the wrong way. But I want you to know that God never shows up at the wrong time. God doesn't ever show up in your life and be like, oh, man, what? I'm like three days too early. How did, I, how did I get this wrong? God shows up in your life at the right time. You might think it's the wrong time, but I want you to know, and I want you to hear today, and I want you to get this in your heart, that God always shows up in your life at just the right time. At just the right time, when you were utterly hopeless, Christ came and died for us sinners. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. 
It's just this concept of, you know, most people wouldn't die for another person. You know, most people wouldn't die if there was somebody that was really good, like, eh, maybe, like, if this person, if I, if I knew that Brianna was going to cure cancer and someone came in here, and I might, like, lay my life down for Brianna. I might, like, no, Brianna, don't die. I don't know why you're going to die, but somehow something was happening, and I would lay my life down for her because she was a really upright person. She was going to do something really great. But not most people wouldn't do that is what Paul is talking about here. But his point he's making is, is that Jesus... Like, most of us wouldn't die for anybody, right? Like, if we're just being honest, most of us wouldn't die. Now, maybe if somebody was really, really going to do something super amazing and super great and change the world, we might consider, like, if it came to it, we might consider laying our life down for that person if we had to. This is what Paul is saying. Are you tracking with me? And then he says, that's that's us. That's humans. But I want you to know, he says, this is me paraphrasing, I want you to know that Jesus came and laid his life down at just the right time for you. When you were a sinner, when, when you weren't going to do anything great, when you had no value to the natural eye, he still came and laid his life down for you and for me. And when you were living in your filthy muck and mire and doing all kinds of horrible, dirty, nasty things, Jesus still showed up and paid the price for you. That's pretty great news. You know, as we go through the book of Romans, I just keep getting struck by how much, I don't want to say this this way, but how much better the Lord is than us. And I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but I'm struck by his love for us. I'm struck with the purity of his love for us. And I'm struck and I realize over and over again how human we are and how we judge uh, other people and how we, we base our life off of good versus bad or worthy or not worthy. And I will respond based off how I view these people and these people. But what Paul is saying here is, the Lord doesn't value you based off of your works. And in fact, he's saying he came and he paid a price for you that you could never pay when you were at the worst place you could be. The Lord came, sent his son, and laid Jesus down on the cross. Jesus laid himself down on the cross and paid that price that we could never pay. And it just continually awakens my heart to the goodness of God. It continually causes me to fall in love with Jesus more. Realizing that he loves us even beyond a love that I can comprehend and understand right now. It says in verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I want to remind you, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says that God is love. God's love. 
And I want to remind that to you so that as you go out in the world and you have all kinds of conversations with all kinds of people who have all kinds of preconceived ideas of who God is and what church is, that you remember at the very core of everything that God is love. Um, can I tell you a story real quick? It's a short story. Will you listen to me for two more minutes? Thinking about this verse, and I was telling Jen this on Friday, uh, we, we go to the gym all the time in Chilliwack, and there's this one kid at the gym who um, is like my best friend. <laughs> he loves me. And he will follow me around as I work out. And he'll stand there. He's supposed to be working, but he just stands there and talks to me the whole time I'm working out. And uh, this, this dude is taller than me. He's like six foot five or six foot six. It's weird for me that I have to stand there and look up talking to somebody. I don't enjoy it because he's taller than me, and it's, it's a weird phenomena. And I'm always sitting down, so he even looks even now much bigger than me. And he's like, he's skinny like a pole. And... Um, Man, the, the kid just follows me around, all around the gym. It's great. So we talk the whole time that I'm working out. And um, he is not a believer of any kind. Like, he used to go to church back in the day, but does not go anymore. And does all the kinds of things that you would think that somebody who didn't follow Jesus would do. You know what I'm talking about? Can you track with me on that? And uh, so he knows who we are. He, like, follows us on, like, social media. And, um, you know, it's, just, it's great. Anyways. He has taken this new position um, when we're at the gym, and he goes around as I'm working out, and he will go, because you know when you go to someplace a lot, you, you see all the regulars, you begin to know everybody, you get to see everybody all the time. So he has taken to now go around and, and um, bring other people into conversations that he's having with me, and then tell them, hey, did you know that Jake is a pastor? And so he's like my personal, he's like my personal, um, uh, I don't know what the right, like he just goes around telling everybody, Jake's a pastor, Jake's a pastor, Jake's, did you know, do you know this guy's a pastor? So now, now random people at the gym are calling me pastor, it's, it's weird, uh, but it's awesome. But here's what I, here's what I want to tell you, is on Friday we were having a conversation, and so uh, there was a bunch of us all working out in this one section together, and me and him were talking, and like he just always does, and so he's talking, I'm talking, and he goes to this other person, and he says, hey, it's, it's, it's awesome, but it's weird. Like, it's just so random. Like, the other person's not involved in the conversation. He goes over and says, hey, did you know Jake's a pastor? And the person's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm a pastor. So begin the conversation. And I realized in that moment, as I began to talk to this person, this person had no concept for what church was, for who God was. Uh, they began to talk to me about things that, that they had seen um, other churches doing. Like, they were talking about small groups. But this person was like, yeah, so-and-so over there used to go to, like, this church where they met in homes. I think it was, like, a cult. I said, like, a, like a small group? <laughs> like, that's, I mean, that's normal. You just, like, do you go hang out with your friends at home? It's the same kind of thing. And I realized in that moment that people need to remember that God is love. People seem to think that God is in heaven. They might think that Jesus is love, and they might think that God is angry God waiting to punish them. 
But I want to remind you this morning, in all of your conversations, everywhere you go, you may not know it, you may not think about it, but people know who you are and what you believe. If you go to the same place over and over and over again, and if you do, you will get the chance to begin to talk to them and remind them that God is love. Hey, God is not up in heaven waiting to punish you for all of your sins. God is not up in heaven with this giant scorecard waiting to check off all these boxes, but he's up there because he loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross because he loves you. First John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. You got to remember that as you go into the world and as you go to wherever it is, wherever your job's at, wherever you go to school, wherever you hang out, whatever you do, go to those places and show people, tell people, remind people that God loves them that God cares about them, that God has a plan for their life, that God thinks about them. That's a big one, that God thinks about those people. Psalms talks about before you were born, he wrote the days of your life in the palm of his hand. And that's not just for you and me. That's not just for me. That's not just for Kelly or Mike and special people who are Christians and who get saved. And suddenly once you give your life to Jesus, then he's thought about you beforehand. He has thought about everybody ever who will ever Come in the future, who's ever been in the past, the Lord thought about those people and wrote the days of their life in the palm of his hand. And people need to know that there's a God that thinks about them, that has plans for them. God is love. Let's finish off here. A couple more verses. Verse 9. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Stand up with me. Last thought for the day. When you are made right with God through faith, when you are made right with God because you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, Paul says here, just like Abraham, you're friends of God. Remember that song, I'm a friend of God? From like the early 2000s-ish. I am a friend of God. I am a fan of... You know that song? It was like that classic, like, maybe like mid-2000s, like churchy pop music. But it's a great message. And it's one that Paul is echoing here. That through faith, when you give your life to Jesus, you become a friend of God. And he says, you've had that relationship restored through the work that Jesus did on the cross. I don't know how you think about your relationship with Jesus. When you leave this place, I don't know. When you go home and, and, and you're spending your own time with the Lord and, and you think of yourself and your relationship with God, I don't know what way you think about that. Like he's, he's 
some far distant God who is kind of keeping an eye on you and he might intervene on your behalf once in a while. Maybe you think of him as your father. Maybe you think of him as like a distant uncle who you can talk to once in a while. But the reality is, is that when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender to the Lord, the work that Jesus did on the cross restored that relationship. And you are now called friends of God. You're a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And I love how Paul drops this reference in here. We're working our way through Romans, talking about Paul writing to these people. It's primarily writing to the Jews. And it's a very clever thought that he drops in. Because what he's really referring to is Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And we know that the Bible says that Abraham was called a friend of God. And so now Paul is saying, through the work that Jesus did on the cross, it's not just Abraham that is a friend of God, but now all of us are friends of God as well. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for our relationship with you, Jesus. I thank you for our friendship with you, where we are restored and our relationship is renewed and set right through the work of your Son. Father, I just ask right now, if there's anybody in this place and they have a bad definition of their relationship with you, where they don't see their relationship with you the way that you see it, God, I just ask right now by your Holy Spirit that you begin to make fine-tuning adjustments where you begin to point things out and say, no, that's not the way that I think about you. That's not the way that I feel about you. And in fact, here are my thoughts for you. Here are my feelings towards you. This is what I believe about you. God, I just ask that you begin to show those things in our hearts and our lives and retune and refine and readjust the lies and break off those chains that the enemy has tried to wrap around us, causing us to lose ourselves and lose our relationship with you. Yeah, and I just pray against every lie of the enemy right now. Every lie that has tried to work its way into hearts and lives. Every lie that has tried to find a home in our heart. Father, I just pray right now that you are rooting those lies out. That you're grabbing them and digging them out by the roots and pulling them out. And you are filling those places where the root of the lie was. You are filling those places with your truth. Father, I thank you that you are doing a work that only you can do, that only you can do by your spirit and by your grace. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, we all said. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. 
And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.